Would you grab your Bibles, John 15, let's read our verses, and then you can have a seat. So we finished the section on abiding, and Jesus has a bookend statements about loving one another, and then he has four statements in between those two bookends of what that looks like. It's not just an exhaustive list, but it is a very important list. So John 15, 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And these things I command you, so that you will love one another. From John 13.1 to 17.26, Jesus mentions the word love 23 times. So this last night that he is with these 11 men and initially with Judas, this is a night of expressing his deep love for them and talking about aspects of what love um, looks like. And so today I want to talk about things that mark the friends of Jesus. Um, Each aspect of the points are going to be connected to that phrase, friends, um, what the friends of Jesus look like. When we come to faith in Christ, our lives are immediately marked with a myriad of realities. And one of the biggest of those is that now we are to live within the commandments of Christ. So the friendship of Christ is grounded in walking in obedience to Jesus. This is his definition that he will set forth for us today. One friend saying to another that you must do what I say. So I have some of you are my friends um, and I should say not some of you, I guess all of you are my friends, sorry not to, I guess Mark, I'm just joining Mark and insulting everybody in the room this morning. <laughs> some of you I know more than others, but think about this for a moment, in this friendship that we have with one another, um, I'll just use James Roberts as an example, so James and I are friends, and in this relationship, I don't tell James that James, you have to do everything that I say. That's not how this kind of friendship works. He has a wife to do that for him. And, uh, and so, uh, um, well, as we all have someone to tell us that. Um, but Jesus can say that. Jesus, in this friendship, it's a different kind of friendship. It's a friendship where he can say, okay, in this friendship, you have to do what I say. This is how this relationship works. I've given you my father's words and you are to walk in them and you are to do these commandments and so once we come to faith we come to faith in in such a way where from that moment forward we are now to live faithfully learning about the words of God the commands of God and not just learning them mentally but living them out and I know I mentioned this from time to time but I want to mention it again this morning the reason Sunday after Sunday for probably six years now, we have uh, Psalm 119 is divided um, into the Hebrew alphabet. And so we out loud 
just say aspects of affirming the reality and the truth and the power of God's Word because we need this reminding of how much we need um, God's Word and it must be a part of our life. And it's got to be more than just saying it out loud, more than just reading it. Um, it demands our obedience, which means living what is actually said there. Now, a lot of things in our life, whether subtly or sometimes even out loud, um, we, we want to know, if I'm going to join this and I'm going to be a part of this, what's the cost? If you live in a subdivision that has an HOA, one of the things that you talked about before you bought that house was, what is this going to cost me? What is this going to be involved? And so we, we do this a lot of times in our life of, of wanting to know, okay, if I'm going to commit to this club and I'm going to be a part of this team, if I'm going to be part of this organization, what does it require of me? And so I want to set forth and just remind us, I know you know this, but we need the reminding as Jesus will remind about loving one another today. In regard to obeying Christ, this is not an option for Christ's followers. We don't look at the Word and decide, okay, um, as I read this, I'll decide which ones I want to obey and which ones that I don't want to obey, and I will elevate some and I won't elevate others. We are to obey all of these. Now, yes, it is a huge task. But this is the way it works. Once we have been rescued from our sin and we've been brought into relationship, the commands of Christ must be our life. And so Jesus is, we will um, get a little bit deeper detail in a moment, but just by way of uh, introduction this morning, is going to talk about one of the most amazing things. We are his friend. He calls us friends. What an incredible thing. But I want to give a word of caution in regard to that before we get into the text. As I shared a while ago about James and I, I I can't tell James, okay, James, you have to do everything that I say, but Jesus can say that to his people and to his children. And yet, even as Jesus uses the word friend, I want to remind us this morning that it's not like friendships that you and I have with people. So yes, we are friends with Jesus. And yet, we must remember He is Lord. We don't ask Him to conform to our values. We conform to what He values and what He prizes. And so it's a friendship that is different than our friendships that we have where He can say to us, we, you must do what I say. So we've got to remember that while He is a friend, He is also Lord. And while we are a friend, we are still slaves To him, this master-slave relationship continues in regard to this relationship. So as said in the beginning, there are two bookends to this text. So verse 12, he says, um, a command I give you. It's a reminder of what he says already in John 13, 34 through 35, to love one another. And he closes this next section in regard to saying to them, uh, because I've said these things to you, um, so th- I said these things to you so that you will love one another. And so in between those two bookends are four statements, four principles that impact our loving one another that are very important um, for us. And so John 15, um, before we look at the first thing this morning, um, first part of it is all about this is how you and I relate as his people to Christ. This section is how do we relate to one another Next, uh, when we get back to, we won't get back to John 15 until January the 9th, um, just because of the holidays and things of that nature. But when we get back to John, 
The next thing that we're going to see is he's going to tell us, I want to tell you, you need to keep this in mind. The world hates me, and because it hates me, it's going to hate you. And so he's going to give principles about how do you and I live as his followers in a world that hates Christ and hates us. So we're going to talk about how do we relate to the world, and then he'll close John chapter 15 in regard to how do we relate to the Holy Spirit. And so, so all of John 15 is about relationship and to Christ, to one another, to the world, and then to the one who will indwell us, the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the first principle this morning, and it's this, the friends of Christ love one another. And so he says in verse 12 there, this is my commandment that you love one another. And so again, in John 13, 34 through 35, he has already said this, a new command that I give you, that you love one another. And that's where he says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so this repetition comes for this reason. We need it. We need to be reminded of this. Sometimes we forget aspects of things. And so this reminding of to them that they must love one another is really important. And he will say it again one more time. So if I had a board up here this morning and, and I had a nail in it and I were to take the hammer up and I were to bring the hammer down on top of the nail, would the nail immediately go all the way through the board? It wouldn't, right? It would take, what, multiple hittings of that. And that's the way this is sometimes in our sanctification. In order for these truths to, dry, to be driven deeply inside of us, there are multiple reminders that the Scripture gives us in regard to this that are important for us um, to hear, to walk through, and to embrace so that they would become deep within us. And so Jesus, again, on this night, tells them, this is my commandment that you love one another. And so this is a call from Jesus not to just be around one another casually, but this is a call that we would be in one another's lives and intentionally love one another. I know you know this, if you've been in a relationship, and particularly if you were married, not all the time in a marriage relationship are the feelings. Thumbs up. Sometimes the feelings are thumbs down. And so how does a marriage make it when there's this and that? And it's this. Love is a decision and love is a commitment. And so at times in the relationships, all relationships, they maintain moving forward in the commitment. So this is the aim in our relationships is that we would love like that. So let me pose a question to us not to insult your intelligence it's a pretty simple answer to this was there any aspect of the cross emotionally and physically that jesus felt great about in regard to the pain and the emotion that was a difficult day and yet there was an emotion yes we know the joy before him that he endured the cross but watch this emotionally physically incredibly incredibly feeling wise painful and yet the cross is the most beautiful expression of love so love is more than just a feeling love is a commitment it is a commitment and jesus went all the way to the cross because of his deep commitment to the father and because you and i needed rescue in this and so jesus telling 11 men do you think these 11 men saw the world exactly alike no way they probably had some nuances. You had Matthew who was a tax collector. 
You have a guy named Simon the Zealot. He was a zealot against Rome. Matthew had once worked. And so I would imagine there were moments that they had conversations about different things along the way. And in this thing called family, which a church is, it is a body, it is a family, we are not always going to see everything exactly the same in regard to things. We may not even agree on some things. Many things we must agree upon those things. And so sometimes we don't see food the same. We don't see music the same. We have different perspectives on aspects of culture and, 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 and a multitude of different things. But, but one of the things we must do is that even though sometimes there's things that we see different and it causes maybe some intention, uh, tension in the relationship, we must be intentional in regard to our relationships to love one another we are still to aim at this the 11 needed to know that they needed to be reminded of this on this night it's also true that we are not ever going to know everything about us i two weeks ago was in a conversation with my wife we've been walking a lot and talking and she said something and i've been with a woman now for 34 years now and she said something, and I just realized, gosh, I don't think I ever knew that, that she thought about that and, and, and stuff. And so I learned something in that, and I think we, we continue to do that as we have relationships with one another. We learn things as we go, and, and sometimes those things are like, wow, that's a unique perspective um, that you have. Now, what I would like to do in this moment and, is I want to ask you to turn to Colossians chapter 3 just for a second. And I want to share some things that, I, that are in a practical way that Paul gives the church in Colossae in regard to what does loving one another look like. This is Colossians chapter 3, and I want you to go to verse 12, and we're going to look at um, three or four verses there just for a moment. You know, sometimes in our relationships... We place unrealistic expectations on others and demands of others, and sometimes others do that um, to us. And, and so we have to learn how do, we, how, do we, how do we love one another, how do we relate to one another, what are some things that we can do um, to make sure that we maintain unity and things of that nature. And so Paul writes some incredibly powerful things here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. And this is what he writes. Put on then as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved. And here's what we put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's just stop there for a moment. This word put on here that, that Paul writes is a word of clothing. It means to literally, like you put a shirt on and put pants on, we are to, to wear certain kind of clothing, Christian clothing. We are to put these things on. So when we get up in the morning and we know we're going to go out into the world, we're going to be in relationship with people. When we come to church, we, we put these kinds of things on and we wear those. And so he reminds them, put these things on. And here's why you put these things on. You are God's chosen ones. And because you are God's chosen ones, you are holy and you are beloved of God. And so those that have been made holy 
because you've been chosen by God and because you've been loved by God, you're the beloved of God, there are things that you ought to wear. And the first thing that he says there is that we ought to wear compassionate hearts. We ought to, compassion is, is not just empathy, empathy where we feel what other people are feeling, but compassion is to do something about that, that I want to do something. So we, we have a, a girl in Africa through Compassion International that we sponsor and, and we get letters and, and we pray. And, and so, so compassion is not just, okay, that's bad and I feel bad, but compassion is I want to do something about that. And so with one another, when we love one another, we have compassionate hearts. Secondly, Paul says there that kindness ought to um, be a part of our lives. Sometimes we're not kind for whatever the reason is. Um, and so, but, but he's reminding us there what should dominate and what should be a part of our life is to speak kindness and to be kind. How do you do that? Those first two. Well, the third thing that he says there is really important. Humility. Humility is where we are considering other people as more important than ourselves. We're not looking after just our selfish interests, but we are looking after the needs of others. And then Paul writes there that one of the ways that we love Next, he says, is meekness. The Greeks kind of invented this word about the time of Alexander the Great. Alexander rode on a white horse. All the other armies in the Greek army, um, the horses were other colors except for Alexander's, and it was white so that the soldiers could see during the day and during the battle. If they wanted to know where the commander was, they could spot him in regard to the white horse. They also use this word meekness in the Greek to describe that that horse that Alexander rode on could crush him if it wanted to. You've been around horses. They are stronger than people. And so the horse is, the Greeks use this word to say the horse is meek. It is great strength that is under control. So the, the horse is stronger than Alexander and yet it submitted to Alexander's commands. It would go to the right. It would go to the left. It would stop. It would gallop at his commands. And so in this relationship, one of the things that's important for us, and uh, we've, I know that we've all been there, you have relationships where maybe one person wants to win all the time, win the argument, wants to win this, wants to win that, wants to be the, the one that's right. And so sometimes... We just need to not fight for those things. There needs to be a strength and control in our lives to where we're not trying to win, but we're trying to walk together and be in unison together in regard to things. And so there is a strength sometimes that's under control to not say something. Oh, I want to say something. No, I shouldn't say something. It's not the right time for this or whatever the case may be. In loving relationships, we also need this. Paul says patience. We need patience with one another. Have you been around people lately? Hello, that's a question. We need patience. Sometimes we need to be patient. And what's connected to that is what he shares next. We bear with one another. We are patient and we bear with one another in regard to their, bar their burdens Sometimes in regard to their personalities, to their life perspective, to the issues or struggles, whatever they may have. And we also, by the way, <clears throat> we're good at this, seeing the faults in others, 
and ignoring the faults where? With us. And so we want to be reminded we bear with others and their weaknesses, and we want them at times to bear with us in our weaknesses, to support us and to encourage us. And then he says this one, and this is so important. If somebody has a complaint against another person, forgive that person. Why? He gives the reason why. Because in this relationship with Christ, we are the sinner. We have harmed, in a sense, the glory of God, this relationship with God, and what has Christ done with us in our state of condition? He has what He has forgiven us. And so in the church, He says, as you love one another, as you relate to one another, as you put this kind of clothing on, one of the things is, is don't, just sometimes we need to do this, we just need to let go of things. And we need to forgive. And so if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive them as God has forgiven you. You know, we all have learned this, that unforgiveness becomes a prison, not where the person that we're mad at is in a prison. Who's in the prison? We are. And so it's important for us to forgive and to move forward. And then he just closes and he says, and you've got to put on love. This commitment to love Paul says here is really important for it binds all of these things together. So this is the first book in Paul. Uh, Jesus just saying, this is my commandment. This is my word that you love one another. So we have to ask the question. So can love be commanded? Well, in a relationship with Christ, yes, he can command that love is to be done. And so now he begins to unfold four principles. Let's look at the first principle. And his point number two this morning is that the friends of Christ look to Christ as the sole and true model of love. So this last part of verse 12. So the first part says, this is my commandment that you love one another. And then the last part of 12 says, as I have loved you. So how did he love us? Verse 13 tells us that greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends here's one of the greatest things that we can give to one another this is what i can give you that's important this is what you can give me that's important and it's this is that for all of us we fix our eyes on jesus he becomes the sole model for everything in our lives so he's the model so we we want to learn from others but we want to learn most from christ so we can learn from the model of other people, like, like married people. I, I look at those who have been married longer than me, and I learn by watching how they relate to one another and learning things about that. I want to learn about pastors that are older than me that have been in the ministry longer because I can learn things that I need to help me in my life. So it's important to learn from others. But our priority is to learn from the Lord. He is to be our primary model for us in every aspect of everything, and particularly in this context in regard to love. Now previously, Jesus had told them in Luke 10, 27, that they were to love their neighbor as their what? Yourself. Now he kind of ups the bar. Now you are to love one another as I have loved you. He's not negating Luke 10, 27. He's just raising the stakes in a sense of saying that you are to look at my life and see how I love. Well, how did he love them? Let me give you some examples of how he loved them. And I like the fact 
that at, that some of these stories about the 11 are in the pages because I'm just like the 11 at times. And I can see that he loves me in spite of myself at times. So here's one way. Peter walks on the water, takes his eyes off Jesus, he sinks, he gets into the boat, and he tells Peter, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? He loves us in spite of our doubtings at times, and our wrestlings in regard to faith. You ever been around uh, pettiness? People arguing and fighting to be noticed, recognized, and the greatest? There was two instances. One when James and John's mom came to Jesus one time and said, I've got a simple request. You know, when you come into your kingdom, can one of my sons sit up front in the right side and one of my sons sit up on the left side of you, right up there in front of everybody? Can they do that? And, and when the other ten heard about it, they were not happy about it, and it caused a problem. In the upper room, in the upper room, as he institutes the Lord's Supper, they are arguing about, one of the, I think it's Luke, tells us that they're arguing about which one of them's greatest. So on the night that the great one's going to go to the cross to die, they're talking about how, which one of them. He loved them in spite of their pettiness. He loved them in spite of, of their clamoring to be great. And so we must as well love one another and love others as well when they are that way. Remember Peter said, I will not betray you. Oh, yeah, you are. No, I won't. And he loved Peter in spite of what Peter was going to do three times in the hours to come. They get to the Garden of Gethsemane. He finishes all of this up. And he says to them, watch and pray. And he goes off and he prays and he comes back. And what have they done? They fell asleep. Wake up, men. Wake up tempting night he goes back and prays he comes back and what have they done they've fallen asleep again men wake up wake up he goes off again and when he comes back the third time judas is arriving so even on the night when they fall asleep on him and they don't watch he loves them he loved them to the end and just Probably an hour or so from the reading of these words here, Judas will come and kiss Jesus on the cheek. There will be a Roman cohort. There will be a Jewish guard. And they will all run away. Every one of them runs away. John's the only one who stands before the cross with Mary uh, and Mary Magdalene looking at Christ. Everybody else is gone. And they will flee and he will love them in spite of that. So let me say this to us. We all at some point in time are going to be like that. And so we can write people off when we're in that condition. I don't need you to write me off. I need you to come around me. And you don't need that as well. We need to love one another and try to the best we can. And sometimes, sometimes, Things don't work out, but we need to love that way because, again, listen, friends of Christ look to Jesus as the true model. How did He love? Well, He loved all those ways that I just talked about. And ultimately, how did He love? He laid His life down. 
not just for his enemies, but here he says, I lay my life down for my friends. This idea of greater love has no one than this is an idea of we possess this kind of love. It is ours. It is a love that becomes our kind of love. So the highest love that we can give to others is that kind of love where we give of ourselves and we lay our lives down for the good of others. The context here is not enemies. Matthew 5 is about enemies. The context here is about not just did Jesus lay his life down for his enemies, but he laid his life down for his friends. And such a beautiful picture of that. In less than 24 hours, Jesus will show them the extent of his love as he will be nailed to the altar of the cross. And while you and I cannot die to rescue someone from their sin, Jesus did and he becomes our model. And so we lay our lives down for the others and he becomes that. And so one of the ways that we can love one another well is to have Jesus as our true model. And as Jesus is our true model, he becomes the one who shapes us and how we ought to live and then how we love. Here's the next thing that's in between the two bookends is that the friends of Jesus obey his commandments. They obey his commandments. Look at 14. We can't get around this definition. Don't try to soften this up. He's defining for us what friendship with him looks like. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So he shows his friendship by laying his life down. We show our friendship to him by what? By obeying him. By treasuring his words and walking in his commandments. This is also not the, this is a repetitive statement as well. So in 1415, 1421, 1423, 1424, he has already said this. My people, if you're my disciples, you do what I say. You follow my commandments. He will say it again in verse 14, in verse 10. He's already, he says it in verse 10 and 15, and then here in verse 14. Now, this is interesting. So let's talk about this just for a moment because it's important under this point that the friends of Jesus obey his commandments. According to Greek law back in the day, When Jesus was there, a slave was basically a living tool of their master. So the master said, go do this. The slave did it. Go do this. You do that. So this this relationship still exists. As a matter of fact, when we get to the hating part, Jesus will, will, will use this same language in, in 15 verse 20. He will talk about, I've already told you this, if they hated the master, if they hated the teacher, they're going to hate you. So he continues this idea together of, yes, it's friend, but yes, there's still this master, he's master, and we are slave. But in this, Jesus now gives a unique nuance to this, a beauty to this, in that he calls us friends, and he calls them friends. Now, 2,000 years ago, you don't have this today, but 2,000 years ago, you had a group of people with the Roman emperor and other kings of the east in some of those countries. They would be called the friends of the king or the friends of the emperor. And they were kind of a unique group of, of men who could be around the king any time that they wanted to. They were a unique group. They could be there. They could walk into his bedchamber in the morning. They could be the ones to, 
who were there at breakfast time. They could come at other times and be around him. And so the Roman emperors had this. Other kings had this. They were a unique group of men connected to the emperor or the king who had access to the king at any point in time during the day. They could have this kind of access. Now I want you to think how transformative this was for the apostles. So they're in the garden and Jesus says, I'm not calling you slaves anymore. I'm calling you men who have access to the king at any moment, at any time, in any kind of way. I'm calling you friends. And I am staggered by that this morning. We know what the writer of Hebrews says, that through his flesh, he has opened the curtain that we would have access to him, that we can come not timidly into his presence, but we come, what does the writer say? We can come boldly into the very presence of God. And this is the kind of thing that this blessing of this relationship and salvation that has come to us. And friendship is really important in our lives. Proverbs eighteen twenty four. listen to these words. A man of many companions who just has a bunch of, let's bring it to 2021, who has a bunch of Facebook friends and Instagram followers, but not really in somebody's life. A man of many companions who's got a lot of people in their life may come to ruin. And then the writer writes, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. In every one of our lives, we need that kind of reality. We know Christ is that. He's the kind of friend who sticks closer than a brother. But we also need one another. In the context of this, being friends of Christ, we love one another. And so we need that kind of aspect in our life. And we need someone in our life that everybody in the room this morning needs to be One of two things, or no, really both of these things need to be reality in our life. We need to be the kind of person that somebody can call us at 2.30 in the morning. And we'll get up and we'll go to their house or we'll meet them somewhere or we'll be at the hospital. And every one of us needs somebody at 2.30 in the morning that we can call who will come to the hospital to be with us. So there's there's an opportunity to have many, many companions But there's a blessing that is connected to having a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And so the friends of Jesus, Jesus says here, you are my friends if you do what I command. And so friendship with God is connected to obedience. This is a friendship that is connected and grounded in doing what he says. According to Jesus, friendship with Him is indelibly connected to living out His words. So the friends of Christ do what He commands. And in light of this, the true friends of Christ are those that don't pick and choose the verses that they love. They just love all the verses and the verses that are hard to follow. They just plead with God to help them to walk through those verses. And so therefore, obedience enhances our friendship with Jesus. And obedience is what marks those who are friends with Jesus. I can tell you this, shallow Christianity is marked by very little obedience. Deep Christianity is marked by obeying the commands and walking deeply in them. 
Now, Jesus is not saying, let's make sure we understand this, he is not saying that we earn friendship by behavior, this is, this, but this is about doing what he says. There's aspects that are connected to our behavior, to our morality, to our thought life, to the practices in our lives. And this friendship becomes so real when we know the word and we walk in the word. Let me give you an illustration. So Pam and I have been walking a lot um, and just talking and just enjoying time together right now. Not that we didn't enjoy time before, but it seems to be really sweet right now. So a week ago Saturday, we were walking Saturday morning, beautiful morning, and my phone rings, and I know the telemarketers had figured us all out. You know, a lot. sometimes our phone says, Spam risk, you know, so you don't answer. And I think they've figured out as well where we live. And so my phone a lot of times just says McKinney, Texas, and a call from there, and it's spam just about every single time. So my phone rang, and, and because it says McKinney, I go ahead and answer it. And so a lady was on the other end of the line. She said, um, I wanted to uh, ask you a question. She said, is this, is this Life Point Church? And I said, well, it's Life Point Fellowship. We are a church, yes. Um, she said, so, uh, and, I, and I told her, I said, so I, I'm the pastor. And she said, oh, good. So you're the new pastor. And I said, no, I'm not the new pastor. She said, yeah, the pastor just retired, and you're the new pastor. I said, no, ma'am, I, I really do know myself. I'm not the new pastor. Um, I've been here for a long time. This is Life Point Fellowship in McKinney. She went, oh, okay. I, and evidently there's a Life Point Church in Plano, and she thought she was calling that. She said, well, let me, let me explain my situation to you. I'm gay, and... Um, I'm married, and I'm not affirming this. I'm just telling you what she said. And I'm married to another woman, and we both had kids from previous marriages, and we're married now, and we're looking for a church in the area that will let us come and be a member and serve. And so I said to her, I said, I, said, I tell you what, if you want to come visit our church tomorrow, we will love you, we will welcome you, but in a pretty short amount of time we're going to show our love to you in a different way we're going to tell you that you're not living the way God wants you to live and so we're not going to allow you to be a member of the church and we're not going to allow you to serve at our church but we'll encourage you to get your life right with Christ and she said I appreciate that that you're honest with me about that she said I've called a 11 churches, you're the 11th church that I've called in McKinney, and 10 of them have told me exactly what you told me. And we're walking just off Ridge Road, and I was greatly, greatly encouraged that there's 10 other churches like us in McKinney that told her the same thing. That they would love her, that they would want her to walk with God in a biblical way, but she can't remain in her sin. And I love the fact that she was honest at the very end. She said, you know what, I, I appreciate you telling me where y'all are, and, and I hope you have a blessed day. And, and I told her, I hope you do as well. But see, the friends of Jesus embrace the commands of God. The churches that are friends of Jesus embrace the commands of God. So we hold up the standard, and it communicates to the world that there is truth, and we must conform to the truth. 
So I'm grateful, I hope you are as well, that there's at least, at least 10 other churches like us that have pastors who are willing to take a stand about a culture issue that, where the culture just says, just let anything go in regard to this. I'm grateful for that. Here's the next principle. Look at 15. The friends of Jesus know his work and they understand his words. John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants. See the change here. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So again, in 1520, he's going to go back. So he's not removing the master-slave relationship aspect of things here. But he is, he is saying there's a uniqueness in this relationship with together that it's now friends. And one of the great, great things that Christ did for us in this friendship is He has made known the words of the Father and given them to us. And that's what Jesus says there. I'm not calling you servants anymore, slaves. For the servant doesn't know what the master is doing because here's what happens. A master would come to a slave and say, hey, go do this. And the slave would go and do this. And then the slave would come back, finish the task. Okay, go do this. And they would do this. So the slave wouldn't know the, the big picture plans of the master in, for the land, for the family, for, for whatever the purpose is. Would not know that at all. But Jesus says there's a difference in friends. Friends get to be on the inside and they get to hear from the master what the plans are. Here's why you're doing that. It's not just a task for you to do. But I'm calling you to do that and you're going to know the reason we're doing this is it's going to do this and it's going to impact this and it's going to do that. Friends get to be on the inside and they get to know the picture of what the Father's heart is like. And I love this reality. So, so when we enter into this relationship and we learn the commands, not only do we learn the words, but we learn the works. What does God want us to do? How does He want us to live? How does He want us to love? How does He want us to worship? And so the friends of Jesus, they know His work. They're not just someone doing a bunch of tasks, but they know that the tasks are accomplishing things to glorify God and things that will impact the world. And so Jesus says there, a servant doesn't know what his master's really doing. It's that idea doesn't really know what the big plans are. And so he says, but I have called you friends. And here's why you're friends. Here's the difference. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Do you hear that this morning? Do you hear the difference? And hear the beauty of that? For all that I have heard, everything I've heard my father say, listen to that. I have told you what my father has to say. I've told you all of it. No secrets, in other words. Jesus said, I'm not holding back anything from you. I don't have any secrets of what the father said, what I've heard the father say. I have made sure that you know what the father has to say. And this thing that we're holding in our hands this morning, these are the words of the father that have come through Christ and have now been written down through the Holy Spirit, through the pen of John to us in this room this morning on this December morning in 2021. We are considered friends. We have been brought inside to not only know the words, but to know the works of what we are to do how blessed and privileged 
we are today. A friendship with no secrets. He's, Jesus is not a friend who keeps secrets. All that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Let me tell you a unique, unique aspect of what he has made known to us. Paul writing to the church in Corinth in the first letter in chapter 2, verse 16. Paul poses a question and then he has a statement. Here's the question. For who has understood the mind of the Lord, who's ever understood God's mind, as to instruct God, as to tell God what he ought to do? Well, obviously, we know the answer to that. Nobody can instruct God. And then Paul says the statement, but we have been given something. Here's what he says. But we, as his people, have the mind of Christ. We have been given the mind of Christ. How? Through the words of God. So the friends of Jesus move into this unique relationship where we know the words and we know the work and we know what he is doing and what he is up to. Here's the last one before the last bookend. Here's the last principle of how we love one another well. His friends of Jesus are chosen by him to bear abiding fruit. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We cannot enter into a relationship with Christ Without His work, He has done the choosing, the choice of laying His life down so that we can come into relationship. Jesus says there, you weren't just a group of 12 men and now 11 men, and y'all were just kind of all together and y'all were looking for a Messiah to be your teacher. No, He says this, I chose you and I called you to be in this relationship, to be in this group. And so He chose us, we did not choose Him. Now, yes, we believe, not denying that at all, but he initiated this relationship. And the words are clear. He tells the 11, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And what did he choose us? Why did he choose us? And he, he, he shares three really important things. I chose you to go. I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit. And I chose you to pray in my Name. Let's talk about the word go for a moment. I chose you and appointed you. I chose you that you should go. Christianity is a faith that goes. It is a faith that moves. It expresses itself in actions and obedience that line up with the Scripture to honor Christ. But we've done ourselves a disservice by only looking at the word go in regard to missions. The word go has tremendous application in the rest of Scripture. So we are, now that we've come in relationship with Him, and we've come and He's chosen us, and, and we are in Him, we are in relationship, He has appointed us now to go. Go and do what? Not just missions, but to do a number of things. So here they are. Here's some others. Jesus said in Matthew 5, if anyone forces you to go one mile, you should go two miles with them. So sometimes at work, what's the requirement? You got a boss that's not a 
fun boss and as a demanding boss, as a Christ follower. Here's, here's why Jesus said this verse. A Roman soldier could come to a Jew in Israel and say, if he's carrying his pack, he could, he could take his pack off and he could force a Jew to carry his pack for a mile. And this was a common practice all over the Roman Empire. And Jesus is saying, hey, when a Roman soldier comes up to you and because you are a believer and a follower and they, they drop their pack and ask you to carry it one mile, when you get to mile one, don't just, this is what most Jews did, they just would throw the pack off and they would get back, walking back to where they were going. Jesus says, no, don't just throw the pack off at mile one. Just walk another mile and communicate to that Roman soldier something greater than your selfish interests are guiding you. And so sometimes going is in our workplace doing the extra. Here's another go. Luke 14, 23, the master said to the servant, go out in the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in. Once in Luke 8, 48, he said to a woman, daughter, your faith in me has made you well. He said these words, go in Peace. Go in my peace. In John 4, 16, he meets a woman at a well. And he says, hey, go and call your husband. And she's like, well, um, don't have one. He said, yeah, you're right. You've had multiple husbands. And the one you're living with now is not. That go that Jesus said, go, call your husband, touched a truthful point that she had to confront her sin and deal with her sin and it brought change in our lives. Peter heard this go one day. So he's denied the Lord three times. The Lord is risen from the grave. He meets Jesus in John 21, 18 on the shore. They've had a meal. Jesus has asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? In John 21, 8, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says to Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and you walked wherever you wanted to. But Peter, let me tell you what's going to happen when you're old. When you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another's going to dress, dress you and is going to carry you where you do not want to go. And so sometimes our going is the laying down of our life. As we finish... The call of God's people and the friends of Christ aren't to come in here every week and just sit. And so, we are to do that. But then we are to go out into a world and be squeezed. And what is squeezed out of us is our deep love for a gracious God who laid His life down, calls us His friends, and says, listen, I am appointing you to go and bear fruit. And notice this, fruit that abides. What does that mean, abides? It means remains after us, stays. What's the best kind of a fruit that abides? The salvation of others. It lasts. They come to know Christ. We share, they come to know Christ. They eventually in time share others. Those others come to know Christ and others come to know Christ. Look, look at this, look at this room today. All followers of Jesus in this room today can trace all this back to what we're reading here. 
Somebody began to tell. Somebody believed. That person who believed told. And here we are, 2,000 years later, of those who embrace telling the story of Jesus, producing fruit that abides and stays and remains. So we are chosen to go. We are appointed to bear abiding fruit, and we are to pray in his name, in line with his name. So let's close with the bookend. Last bookend is verse 17. And I, this may be all messed up on the screen. It's all messed up in my notes. This sentence makes no sense in my notes, and I don't know what I did. And so um, this may be up there. It may not be up there. Um, I, I can't, I'm not sure, but the friends of Jesus embrace the words of Jesus so that they will love well, basically. Yeah, see, that makes no sense. I don't know what I was doing. Friends of Jesus, commanding words of Jesus, lead us to love. I don't know. Anyway, whatever that means, it means this, okay? Um, that means no proofreading is what that means. Um, I want you to notice the difference. Look at, look at verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another. Look at verse 17. These things. What things? What he's been saying. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So 12 is, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then 13 through 16, if we will do those things, these things I commanded you about these things so that you will. This will be the response. This is, this is what will happen. If you will do these things, you will live in such a way to, in, to, to do this. And so if you're going to love, you're going to look to Jesus as your soul model. That's one of the ways that we love one another is that all of us look to Jesus, fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. We obey His commandments. That's one of the ways we love one another is to live obeying His commandments. Thirdly, the servants of Jesus move from servants to friends who know the words and know the will of Him. And so when we live the will and we know the will, we remind each other of His will. We talk about it with one another. We remind us when we're out um, of sync with that and communicating in this reality that happens there. And then lastly, we are chosen to go and bear fruit. And then he closes with it. If this happens, he says there, these things I've spoken to you, my words, if you will follow these things. He, sa- he says that I command you, um, that you so that you will love one another. So is there anybody in the room this morning, all of us, whoever it is, is there anything that we need to forgive and let go of with anyone? Is there anybody in the room this morning that we need to be more compassionate with in a relationship that we have? Is there any relationship that we have that needs better meekness, strength under control? Is there any... Is there any of us in the room this morning who needs better patience. I want to share with you what the cross does as we finish. I don't think you and I can ever imagine what Friday night was like for the 11. So John's there, he witnesses, he's close enough that he, he can hear Jesus say, son, that's your mother, mother, that's your son. So John was close enough, but everybody else, we don't know where they were. But I love what the Scripture 
gives us by way of revelation. It doesn't place a lot of emphasis there, but again, every word of the Bible is really important. This happens that weekend. He's in a grave. They know he's in a grave. Do you know where we find them on Sunday morning? They're all together. Thursday night, they flee. They're just gone. They run away. Who knows where they run away to? But on Sunday morning, when the women come back and they say, tomb's empty. And Peter and John can't control themselves and they run through the streets of Jerusalem outside of the city to the garden tomb. John gets there first because he's younger and he's looking inside and Peter gets there because he's Peter and he just barrels inside. And I love what this truth says. That though they didn't get the full implications of the significance of the cross, you know what the cross did that weekend and what Jesus had been telling them for three years? It brought them together to be together on that Sunday morning. And then things began to make sense. Where are they on Sunday night of Resurrection Day? They're in a room together. And he just pops into the room. And he opens the scripture, their minds. I love Luke 24 there. He opened their minds and he revealed to them everything the Old Testament had to say about who he is. One of the primary things that impacts loving one another is what Jesus teaches here and what we see in them. It was his words, modeling of these words, his living, obedient to the Father's words that kept them together. They could have just scattered and gone. They could have gone, okay, this is all over. But what had he been telling them, even though they didn't really believe it? I'm going to rise again on the third day. And for they stay around in Jerusalem. They could have gone all kinds of places. But see, the cross does this. It brings a diverse group of people together and makes them a body. Some are a hand. Some are a tooth. Some are an ear. Some are a foot. And it unites in this great thing so that we will love one another. Not grounded in emotions, but grounded in intentionality because of what he has done for us. So that's Jesus' teaching on the last night to the 11. This is how you love one another. This is how you love one another. Let's pray.